You're listening to special programming brought to you by Glow Fitness. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Breaking Down Barriers is brought to you by Glow Fitness, a fitness studio offering a variety of classes and sessions like Mommy and Me for mothers wanting to connect with their children through fitness, offering strength training, boot camps, and more. Glow Fitness is located at 4250 East Bonanza Road, Suite 19. Specials and class schedules available at glowfitness.vegas or glowfitness.vegas on Instagram. More information by phone at 702-612-6414. Welcome to another segment of Breaking Down Barriers with Walt Neural today, and we'd like to thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, we have a very special guest. I'm going to let Walt go ahead and introduce our special guest this morning. Earl, thank you. Uh, I appreciate this. It's, we're excited about our guest today. Our sheriff, Joe Lombardo, is here. He uh, He's very busy, but he took the time to come and, and talk to you and the, our audience and Earl and I about what he's done and what he's been in for all these years, 30 years or so here in, uh, in Las Vegas. Joe, welcome. Well, it's been 34 years on the department. I've been in, in town over 45 years. That's great. I'm just correcting you a little bit. Well, there. thank you. I, I can stand correction. I can stand correction. That's great. All right. Uh, our, our first question is just that, Joe. Tell us about kind of your career and schooling and everything that you've done here in Las Vegas. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me. And thanks for the questions. I'm a little nervous about what questions you're going to ask me, though, but we'll get through it. So, uh, <laughs> so um, I was born in Misawa, Japan. A lot of people don't know that. My dad was in the Air Force there, obviously stationed in Misawa. And then uh, after I was born, we bounced around Europe for a period of time. And then I ended up in uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was stationed out at Nellis Air Force Base, and uh, I attended uh, local high school here in Las Vegas, Rancho High School. Go Rams! The Rams! <laughs> Go, Go Rams! Rams. <laughs> you know, over in North Las Vegas, and then after graduating high school, I decided to go in the United States Army. Uh, I was there for a period of time until uh, I I was able to separate because I had an intention to enter the ROTC program here at UNLV. And at UNLV, I got a master's, or not a master's, a bachelor's in science, um, and also had an obligation to the military. So upon graduation uh, from UNLV, I had to go back into the military. I was signed, assigned uh, both at Fort Knox, Kentucky and Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, and then I got uh, deferred from the military so I can come back to Las Vegas. I joined the Nevada National Guard as part of continuance of my obligation to the military. And at the same time, I did a, fortunately, did a ride-along on the police department. All right. And that's where I got the bug. You know, I didn't work anything into my science career. I worked for a short period of time for a civil engineering firm in Garden Grove, California. 
Um, at the same time, I, I had friends back in Vegas. I did some visits. Uh, they were police officers already, jumped in the car with them, and I decided to take the test uh, to be a police officer because uh, what I was doing was boring. Sure. And being a police officer was a lot more exciting. You know, a lot of people, they make that canned answer when they say, why did you want to become a police officer? It's because, you know, for the people to help the people <laughs> and do better. Yeah, that that's what came along the way. It's part of it. But the original one, I was a young kid, man. I just wanted to have fun, right? Uh-huh. It sounded exciting. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and then uh, as I progressed through my career, obviously uh, it was uh, for the benevolence of helping uh, folks and, mm-hmm. and, and paying attention to the weak and people that couldn't help themselves and making our society and our communities better all along the way. Good. And then, the, you know, and the, and the thrill of uh, critical investigations and all those things, as you can imagine. But... While I was in the early throes of my career on the police department, I decided to go back to UNLV. Mm-hmm. I got my master's degree in er- emergency management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it was part and parcel to what I did um, as a leader on the police department and something critical I could utilize into the future. And as you very well know, we've had some critical incidents here in town, and I think that education has helped me in management and providing leadership in, in that endeavor. No doubt. And then, and then, uh, fortunately, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. So Doug Gillespie was the sheriff at the time that I'm making reference to, and, and he had it fully intended to run for a third term as sheriff, and, uh, and eventually he changed his mind. And he approached me and asked me if I would uh, consider it, and I said, yeah, of course I would. It wasn't on my radar. I was going to get him through his election, and I said, yeah, if the opportunity uh, – presented itself, I was going to take advantage of it. So I ran for sheriff, got elected in uh, 2014, took office in January of 2015, and, and I've been your sheriff here in Clark County for going on eight years. Eight years. Right? Yep. And then, so the other piece on that is, is who the hell is Joe Lombardo? Well, I, I got a family, and uh, I'm married. My wife is Donna Lombardo, she's in a, a real estate profession, mm-hmm. and she brought uh, two kids to the marriage, and I brought a, a daughter to the marriage, and she has a daughter who works for the DEA slash CDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, her son's going to college in Salt Lake City, and my daughter just finished law school. Wonderful. So Congratulations. She's about to take mm-hmm. the, the bar exam. So we got our fingers mm-hmm. crossed there. <laughs> Is she going to work for the DA's office? Yeah, she applied. <laughs> excuse me, the DA already hired her. Wonderful. And, and they give them the opportunity, uh, I believe it's 12 months, to pass the bar um, to stay in employment with mm-hmm. the DA's office. So that brings us to today. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, thank Earl. you, Sheriff. Uh, my question is, as governor, what would your top three priorities for our state would be? Well, that's fairly simple. I mean, I've talked about it through this year of campaigning, and, and I think there's three components associated with my platform that are more most important to me and hopefully it's most important to the people of Nevada, and that's one is diversification of the economy. Um, we saw, as a result of COVID, you know, the failure of us to diversify our economy here in the state of Nevada. You know, unfortunately, we, we had to shut down businesses as a result of COVID, we saw that that problem rear its head 
uh, having all our eggs in one basket. So what I mean by that is, is the majority of our economy is based on gambling. Right. And, and we know across the United States that different jurisdictions are looking for or already have gambling to solve their budget woes. And so that's going to make it harder and harder for us to compete in the national picture. It, it, it diminishes our tourist volume incrementally year over year. So we have to look at diversifying the economy in the state of Nevada so we have um, – longevity and perpetuity. In other words, we got to be able to sustain ourselves into the future and not constantly have to reinvent ourselves every couple of years. So, and that, so that's my first priority. And how we do that is we, we make it attractive for businesses to put their roots down here in, in the Las Vegas Valley. Uh, more importantly, in like in the manufacturing space, uh, you know, to include um, agriculture and livestock, uh, I mean, that's a smaller portion of what we deal with in the rural parts of Nevada, but more in the urban parts of Washoe and Carson City and Douglas and and and, and Clark County, we, we have to look to bring those companies in that have a robust uh, workforce, uh, ability to pay high-paying wages, uh, commensurate to the work responsibility, and uh, diversify the economy that way. Second would be education. Uh, I personally believe um, the state, and uh, no, no fault of any previous governor, um, they just haven't made it a, a priority enough for us to be successful in that space. We've, we've constantly rated at the bottom of the barrel uh, when we evaluate our education processes, and, and we have to make that a priority and provide, you know, simple things like... Uh, uh, parental choice on school choice, uh, you know, diversification of the workforce, workforce development, and then, you know, things like opportunity scholarships uh, make them widespread and more available to the students to take advantage of. And we also have to trificate the state. And what I mean by that is a lot of time our response in the state of Nevada is one size fits all, and that's not the case. In my travels during this campaign, it's more, no more, it's more evident now than ever before that, that, that northern Nevada is different than southern Nevada and the rural is different than the rest. And, and how we approach problems is, is a three-way uh, address of the problem. We, don't, we can't paint us all with the same brush. We have to address the particular issues of those dynamics individually. And then third would be law and order, uh, public safety. Um, as we can see in the proliferation of crime across the United States in the last couple of years, um, and, and the violence increasing in the last couple of years, in particular to our youth, uh, we, we have to make uh, approaches from a different paradigm, and we have to make it a priority, and we have to fully support our law enforcement uh, and their ability to do their job, to include the judiciary and the ability to do their job, and the incarceration piece, put people in jail that deserve to be in jail, and the ones that don't, uh, give them options, give them resources, give them rehabilitation, and all the other things that we can do in, in lieu of making them a productive system, a citizen in the United States versus sitting in a jail cell um, at the expense of taxpayers. Absolutely. You know, uh, when you mention that, we see in some of the, I think New York City's and L.A. is a pretty uh, good example. They arrest people, enforcement, police do their jobs, and then they get released. Right. Uh, and some, not all of them, but some of them are uh, pretty serious criminals. Right. And, and uh, so by getting our judiciary uh, in order and working with law enforcement, that'll be what a difference. 
Yeah, quite often, you know, and here in, in Las Vegas in particular, Clark County, uh, I, I personally believe we have a very good DA. Uh, I think the DA's office does a robust job in prosecution of criminals. And unfortunately, um, some ill-intended laws uh, coming out of the legislature have softened that attitude towards crime, and it, and it prevents even the DA from achieving the prosecution or the level of sentencing associated with the crime that's committed um, to levy that upon the criminal. And and we're seeing that, that detriment and that progressive thought um, in the unintended consequences of that progressive thought occurring in jurisdictions, as you described, uh, Walt, and it's, and society is suffering from it and people are scared and people need to have right. a, a quality of life that ensures mm-hmm. them that they feel safe when they go to church, when they go to work, when they go to entertainment, whatever they may do, uh, may do so they're not having to hide in their house right. in fear of what might happen to them or their children. Or their kids. Sheriff, let me ask you this question. What, From the start of your career to now, what do you think is the big, what have you seen as being the big difference between the police and the community? Well, I think the, uh, you're talking about, um, or are you talking about type of crime or are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about relations. Yeah, or, the trust. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first started, there was, I, I don't want to say there wasn't any trust. It was basically um, the John Wayne effect in, within law enforcement. What I mean is that we don't need your help. We could do all this on our own. Um, we're, we're the 800-pound gorilla. We're going to take care of society's problems on our own. And we soon, um, not soon, it took us a long time to realize, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it sort of sounds humorous, but it isn't. When you look at it in practical measures, it's a... It's unfortunate it took us a long time to realize that we needed the community to be part of the, us to be part of the community and the community to be part of us. And, uh, and for us to understand that we needed a community to have that trust factor to help us be a force multiplier and achieve what we're trying to achieve. And that's everybody's uh, perception of safety and reality of safety. So I, I think over time, Earl, I, the answer to your question is the level of trust. Okay. You know, and it's gone up and down. It's not mm-hmm. it's, it's not an absolute, Changes. and it's a constant battle. We have to work at it constantly and constantly. But the head of, a, of an organization that has influence on the law enforcement structure has to be part of the answer. In other words, they have to embrace that concept and, and force it, not force it, hopefully convince the troops um, to that's part of the solution versus just going out and hooking and booking and, and hoping that the jail – will solve the problems. We're seeing the error of that mindset and law enforcement has come a long ways in that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Correct. Joe, you, uh, you've answered this question to a certain degree. I just want to make sure we cover it. Uh, Nevadans across the state are really struggling financially right now, as you know, between inflation, taxes, high cost of goods, and $6 a gallon gas. Uh, Nevada families are struggling to pay rent, buy groceries, and get gas. As governor, what will you do to help Nevadans and improve our state's economic outlook? Right. Great question. And I think that's probably the most important question in, in today's environment outside of crime. You know, what what can we do for, you know, because most of us aren't uh, affected by crime in our lives. Um, so what are the rest of the people concerned with um, 
and that's the economy. You know, when you pull up to a gas pump, whether you can afford to put gas so you can take your kids to school and, and go to work or whatever it may be, we all we all understand the issues or whatever the a carton of eggs cost and as compared to what it was three years ago. So inflation, that's that's the secret word, right? And, mm-hmm. and what can a governor do in that space? Because inflation is more influenced by the federal space than the, the local states. And, and we have to suffer as a result of those decisions coming out of the Beltway. And, and my opinion, my simple economics 101 opinion is when you print money, uh, without assets to back the money, that that causes inflation. And how how do you uh, address inflation? That's through interest rates, and and we all suffer. Us, you know, mom and pop and and the kids and all our family members and friends, we all suffer as a result of that that mindset. If you overextend one, the other one uh, reacts, counter reacts. It's it's simple math, and so. The answer, the question presented to me was, as governor, what can you do about it? One, one is is expand the economy. One is uh, create jobs, and and the, and the and the rest of it is ensure that the jobs are paid, well paid jobs, not just minimum paid jobs, uh, jobs that can uh, help you sustain your quality of life and make a decent living and fulfill that vision. If you want to have a family, to be able to pay for that family and sustain your family. Um, in a safe, um, beneficial way. Um, that's what the governor can do. So, you know, when we're talking about bringing in companies um, to put roots down in the state of Nevada, ensure that those companies are bringing jobs that are high-paying jobs. Absolutely. You know, um, Sheriff, you're, you're a dad. You're a new granddad. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention uh, Oh, I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> for that one. <laughs> and, yeah, six uh, months old. So, and so what what are the biggest issues facing our education system and how would you address those issues as governor? Well, there's a co- well, remember what I, t- I explained earlier, we, we tend to paint the whole state as with one brush mm-hmm. and and we, we have to have an understanding of the education system as a whole. So in, in, in northern Nevada, uh, the issues up there may be different than southern Nevada and it may be different than the rurals and you know, I, I, I just got done with the, on the campaign trail, a little uh, rural tour, and I had the luxury of running to a couple teachers, and they told me what the particular issues they were dealing with. And one is uh, teacher availability. Unfortunately, mm. I just went through the town of Tonopah, and the uh, young lady who was a teacher there said she was the only teacher in the high school. <laughs> and And... My Lord. Yeah, she was on her own, and so they had to change their learning environment by becoming virtual. So the kids will still go to school. They're going to have facilitators there to ensure that we, they don't have discipline problems. But the kids are, are, are being prevented from learning because they have to learn through a TV screen. And sure. we know how that works because yeah. we, we experienced it through COVID. You know, you got to have that socialization and you have to have one-on-one influence in, in the in the curriculum and the uh, education environment for you to understand it. You got to be able to, to do public speaking in front of your students, you know, all the things. You know, I'm speaking to the choir. You guys understand that. So uh, as the governor, the governor can address that issue. One is, is the pay has to be commensurate to the obligations associated with what the teachers need there. It's a little bit different. The people... The teachers have to tra- travel more often than not great uh, great lengths to get to where they're, they're teaching uh, to address the students that are under their authority. Uh, so, you know, and the per-pupil funding formula associated with the state's got to be a little bit uh, um, 
modulated. In other words, you can't have the same uh, amount for a student in Washoe as you do in Clark, as in rurals. So those simple things have to be modified um, as part of the problem or as part of the solutions into the future. When you get into Washoe, um, you talk to the teachers up there and it isn't, it isn't necessarily a space problem like it is in Clark County. So the average, uh, for my, my studies, the average teacher per student uh, ratio is about one to 20 on the national average. In Clark County, it's about one to 40. And so how can you create an environment of education um, amongst those kids? A restorative reform, uh, in, a, in previous legislative sessions, they decided to remove discipline as part of the process for disruptive kids. And it was more of a, a counseling type approach versus, you know, discipline type approach. And we see that that start that's failed in particular to Clark County. And, you know, in Clark County, we got to have an increase in infrastructure to address that uh, teacher per student ratio. And recently the numbers are 1,200 vacancies. So how do, how do you fix that 1,200 vacancies? You know, do you, do you decrease the size of the administrative staff and, and put those individuals back into the teaching mode versus administrative mode? You got to look at different ways of doing business. And, and we've been doing it by the same old model for a long time. The other thing is, interesting enough, in Clark County, they went from a performance model to an attendance model. Uh, and, and determining whether kids graduate or mm. not or, or their grade level. So at a minimum, you're going to achieve a passing level um, within the education system simply by attending uh, and not performing. So those kind of things we got to get away from. we got to look at uh, some of the old traditional ways to do it, read by three before you advance. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. There's, wow. all, there's all kinds of mechanisms that we could put in place that the current administration and, and have failed to address it. And I think we, we can get there. I, I know we can get there. And then quite often they talk about the overwhelming size of the Clark County School District, whether it be better managed if we broke it up. That needs to be robustly evaluated. Sure. Mm -hmm. Robustly evaluated because when you have a, a very sizable uh, organization, uh, it tends to take an exorbitant amount of administration to manage it. And maybe we can have those administrators be teachers in, in lieu of. So those are the kind of things we need to think about. Very important. Very important. And and you say, well, what's that got to do with the with the governor? Well, the governor provides that vision. He provides that direction, and you know, and, and the state controls the purse strings. Granted, the local school boards provide a lot of that direction, um, but it still comes from the top. Right. And there has to be obligations associated with the distribution of funds. Okay. That's great. Uh, Sheriff, I'm going to ask you a question and it's going to be a kind of a basic question, but I think it's the elephant in the room these days uh, about water. Are we, oh. gonna, are we going to have any water <laughs> left in two or three years? And uh, just your thoughts on it in general. Yeah, you know what's interesting about politics, and I'll, I'll answer your question here in just a second. The other thing about politics, it's usually the whatever the problem of the day is, right, mm -hmm. or the week, and and they seem that they 
people seem to think that's the answer to all the problems in, in society is that one particular problem of the day, you know, whether it's Roe versus Wade or, or, or a, a number of different things, associated crime, anything that you can imagine. But this water thing's been hanging over our head for decades, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's decades. Unfortunately, we've been restricted by the Colorado River Pack. Uh, you know, here, here, here we go again. I'm backing up a little bit and I'm bouncing around a little bit, but it's a trificated issue in the state of Nevada. The agriculture and the rurals and the issue of, of watering, efficiency of watering and reservoir system and, and irrigation or flood flood irrigation, those kind of things have to be looked at with uh, more modern technology. In northern Nevada, we have a lot of runoff of water that we can capture, recapture, recycle and, and reutilize. And we're failing to do that, um, but they're not necessarily in, in, in a dire need like we are here in southern Nevada. In southern Nevada, we depend on 94, 95% of all our consumable water via um, the Colorado River. Colorado River. Right? And we see what's going on out at Lake Mead. So in um, that river, that pack associated with the allocation of that water was written in 1922. Interesting enough, it was one of the wettest years in history, right? So didn't know they were that. Thinking, and know that. The, the intent was to provide water in the majority to Southern California for agriculture. And we didn't. And come on, let's be frank. We didn't have that much of a of of residents occupying population. population in Southern Nevada. And and but yeah, we've come a long way since 1922. So and we're seeing uh, our errors of failing to address it sooner than later. Uh, I think. Part of the problem is each time a politician cycles through, they they just worry about it until the end of their cycle. And, <laughs> right, right. And It'll then, be the next person's and problem. Next yeah. person's problem, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, but you know what? To be to be frank, though, we gotta we're gonna have to do some remediation, some draconian remediation sooner than later. Yes, we do have eight years of supply mm-hmm. available. And we haven't had to dip into that yet as a result of the level of Lake Mead, uh, but we're soon going to be looking at starting to dip into that. So what's, what is occurring is, uh, I believe it's 24 or 26, the, the Colorado River Pack's got to be renegotiated. We're going to have to figure out some different remediation numbers for each state that participates in part of that pack uh, to adjust for current population structures. And then we're going to have to uh, address, right now we're addressing new construction as far as green space. And, you know, that's the outside of agriculture, the number one use of water is landscaping. Hmm. And so we got to figure out whether uh, we adjust that. Um, now and even go backwards and provide, you know, subsidies for people to remove the green spaces and businesses and residents uh, to address that uh, sooner than later. So there, there's some things that we can do on the forefront. And, we, and to be frank with you, we've done a, a fantastic job of remediation in the last decade. We are using water, consumable water, less now than we did 10 years ago. And we have more population. Wow. It's because we've made it an area of concern, but we need to rise it to a level of higher concern than we have ever done it before. Because what happens with that? You have contraction of the economy, and eventually you have arid arid space in in the western United States, and people don't live here anymore, right? Sure. So, You know, um, Sheriff, we have a minute left, and I'm going to give that minute to you to 
just speak to our audience and just tell them what they can expect uh, once you're in office as governor. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> before we make that leap, let's talk about uh, how I get there, right? So I, I need everybody's support. I need volunteers. Every successful campaign is success based off volunteers. I need folks to, go, if they're interested and they want to sign up or they want to participate, no matter what the, the measure or the means may be, you can go to joelombardoforenv.com, joelombardoforenv.com, uh, and I can answer a lot of these questions you presented today and other questions that might be on people's mind, and you can also figure out how you can uh, help the campaign for a successful campaign come November. Awesome. Listen, thank you for being here. We yeah, know thank you. Oh, absolutely. Very thank you much. for the opportunity. We know how busy you are. And I appreciate you guys doing what you do. Well, we're not important right now. Yeah, you, you are. are. Yeah, you, you are. are. You're part of that, <laughs> what we talk about, trust. So. <laughs> well, I, and, I, and I, I like to end with this. I think that uh, as sheriff, you've been a great example for this city. Yes, sir. Uh, your thank leadership. You. Uh, your direction, your just your involvement with our community, especially in some trying times, has has been way above uh, any public servant I can remember. And I've been in politics a long time, but uh, we like to thank you. We like oh. to thank you, and uh, and I'm speaking for members of this community too. Uh, we like to thank you very much for your service as the chief law enforcement officer in Southern Nevada. Great job you've done. Great job. Thank Great job. It's also made my hair gray. <laughs> well, see, I got it too. <laughs> <laughs> thank Listen, you, Earl. Thank you, Walt. I well, appreciate thank your time. you, Sheriff. It's our pleasure. And thank you. thank you, listening audience, again, until next month. Uh, Breaking Down Barriers will be in August, and we'll see you again in August. Thank you very much for tuning in. Breaking Down Barriers is brought to you by Glow Fitness, a fitness studio offering a variety of classes and sessions like Mommy and Me for mothers wanting to connect with their children through fitness, offering strength training, boot camps, and more. Glow Fitness is located at 4250 East Bonanza Road, Suite 19. Specials and class schedules available at glowfitness.vegas or glowfitness.vegas on Instagram. More information by phone at 702-612-6414.